somewhere here. There's a sermon of mine. And that's not it. There it is. Thank you. Thanks, Gil. Here's some past sermons. All right. This morning, uh, it's been burning on me. A number of sermons I have touched on this, and I feel it's in the consciousness of the nation and of people. And we, as the people of God, need to have an answer for the hope that lies within us. And many people are asking this question, especially in this day with so much trauma and uh, events going on, that people really want to know and have an answer to this. And uh, I'd like to take you through it. I am not a philosopher nor a scholar, but I'm going to do the best I can. But I want to give you an insight as to this. If God is so good, why is there so much bad in the world? Or why is there so much evil in the world? The theological study of evil and God is called theodicy. That means, why is there a good God and the existence of evil? Now, there won't be a quiz. You don't have to re- remember that theological term, but it deals with God and evil. And how many of you have ever heard that question posed to you? If God is so good, why does evil continue? And why is there evil? And so we need to have a good answer for that. And I'd like to take the time to elaborate on that and speak to that issue. How many of you know that people have been asking since that shooting in uh, Colorado in the, uh, in the movie theater or when the tsunami hit Japan or 9-11? You know, and atheists use this as an argument that there is no God. They say, and many times Christians cower at this, when they ask, well, if God's so good, why can't He overcome evil? And why is there so much evil in the world? And they actually use that as some kind of proof that, see, there is no God. The problem is, what do they have left if all there is is evil in the world? Bring it back to them. What kind of world do you live in if there is no God? And you would definitely say there's evil. It's scary being you. Turn with me to Luke chapter 13, if you will. Jesus addresses this issue. And I'd like to read this in our text this morning. Luke chapter 13, verses 1 through 5. Luke 13, 1 through 5. I hear you all getting there. I'll start when you catch, catch up. Just let me know. Luke 13, verses 1 through 5. Now, there were some present at the time who told Jesus about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. You see, there was a group of people who went into the temple. They were from Galilee, went down. And for some reason, uh, I'm not going to get into the issues now, but the Roman centurions killed these number of people who were bringing a sacrifice to God. Now, that's an awful thing. That's like saying a gunman went into a church and killed a bunch of Christians. Where's God? Right? We heard of that pastor that was shot and killed at his pulpit. And uh, so you'd have to ask the question, where's God? And Jesus says, do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered this way? I tell you no. 
But unless you repent, you too will all perish. Or those 18 who died when the tower of Siloam fell on them. Do you think that they were more guilty than all others living in Jerusalem? I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you too will perish. So Jesus brings into the picture not only this awful incident of evil, of a bad government killing righteous people, but he also brings in the issue of an accident, of a tower falling and killing people that was not caused by evil men. And so he brings the point to them, is it because they were sinners that they were judged by God and killed? And he happens to say, no. Do you think there were more sinners than anyone else in Jerusalem? For that matter, let's build a really big wall and kill everyone. That's, so it doesn't equate. So the, the issue is that, no, it wasn't because of their sin that they were killed by Pilate or that the wall fell on that other group of people. His answer is basically this. You're all going to die. You're all going to die. And I would put that to you. I don't mean to offend any of you, but maybe I need to wake you up. Guess what? You're going to die. Now, I don't know how that's going to happen, what way it's going to happen, but everyone here is going to die. You don't have the promise of tomorrow. God gave you life, thank God, but you're going to die. And so in between your living and your dying, there's an issue here, and that is evil in this world. So let's take a look at it, and let's take this argument and find out what is the origin of evil, all right? I mean, if there's evil in the world and we're not, ex- uh, what's, what's the word? We're not uh, exempt from it, but it could happen to anybody at any time, as Jesus is saying, then where's the source of evil? Is, is God evil? What is that source? And what we find is that evil exists in this earth because of man, the fall of mankind. Uh, I find it very interesting that you can start with the story of Cain and Abel. And at the very beginning, it would have been really easy for God to step in at that point, wouldn't you say? I mean, come on, there's four people on the earth. This would have been easy. He could have even stepped in at the garden, didn't he? Why did he wait? So we know that there is a fall, and we see that all the evil in the world is really brought at the hands of men. What is the source of death? We seem to think that's the worst evil that there could be, that someone could take another man's life. Well, what does the Bible tell us? Where does death originate? From sin. Sin entered the world, and what is the results of sin? Death. The wages of sin is death. And so we have death. Now, man's sin equals evil. Our answer to the atheists and to the folks who say, if there's such a good God, why is there evil? Because you're here. really good answer and because i'm here but wait a minute isn't our god big enough to overcome the evil of man 
Couldn't God overcome? And that's what the real question is. Okay, I could buy the fact that I see people being evil to people, but your God, who's so omnipotent, all-powerful, why doesn't he stop evil people? Can God overcome the evil of man? Yes, he can. And there are two ways that he could do it. So let's look at both options on how God could interrupt the evil of man. Number one, to stop the evil people. How can God stop the evil people? Well, what did we say was evil? Sin. Stop people from sinning. So what God could do is interrupt people before they sin. So let's just take the topic of murder. That if God would step in the process of evil before one person murders another person. Because isn't that the question concerning the 12 who were murdered in that theater in Colorado, right? Wasn't that, where's your God? Why didn't he step in and stop such a murderous act? There have been horrible things that have gone on. Why couldn't God step in and stop the murderer? Is God strong enough to do that? Most certainly. Why doesn't he? Well, let's take a look at this. Let's break down the the aspect of murder. Let's take a look at war, where people kill each other. Right now in the world today, we have at present these number of wars going on. So let's take a look at it. The conflict in Peru, 250,000 killed. War in Afghanistan, 3 million. Somalia, civil war. War in North Pakistan, Mexican drug war. Sudanese, non uh, You know what? I can't even keep up with it. This is the number of wars going on in our world right now. Those are the number of people being murdered and killed. Assam violence. Oh, you only count 58 there? Well, sure, just like at the tower when there were 12 killed or at the movie theater. These people all belong to somebody somebody's daughter, somebody's son has been murdered and killed. Why didn't God stop in? You can see that right now, what would God have to do in order to step into every one of those acts of war and terror? We're in God having to interrupt millions and millions of people's lives in these conflicts. Now, what else is there that we could talk about? We didn't even look at the worldwide murder rate, I just showed you the number of wars going on in the world. Add to those number that list of wars going on, and let's take a look at the murder rate around the world. I googled that this morning. I didn't have enough paper. For the number of murders within every country, every state, province, and every city, God would have to intervene on that as well, wouldn't he? Well, isn't abortion murder? Wouldn't God have had to intervene in every single abortion, 50 million since Roe v. Wade? Let's add to that, drunk drivers, the number of people that are killed every day by a drunk driver. Why didn't God intervene in that? In 2010, 10,228 people died by drunk driving accidents. That's one in every 52 minutes. Where's God? Starvation, there are 6 million children starving every day. I'm sorry, yearly in the world because of starvation. Now, where's God in all of this? Uh, It seems like there's a real lot of activity of death. Would you not agree? But murder, of course, isn't the only evil in the world, is there? 
we know that there's a bunch of different evils which are sins. Lying. Well, that's not that big. Sure it is. People die because people lie. Many of you lost your homes because another man swindled and stole and took money. The whole mortgage scam and the whole fiasco with finance and money. That has a result. People out of their homes, people hungry, people starving. Most people starve on this planet. Most people are homeless on this planet. Most people are beaten and under uh, abuse because of man's evil towards man. So maybe we should start rating them. Ask the folks who are asking, where is God in all this? Where would you like him to begin? With the wars or with the murders? With the rapes? With incest? With starvation? with drunk drivers, with abortions, with stealing, with lying. Can you see that this adds up to one thing? For God to step in and stop the sin of man by direct intervention, He would have to take away the free will of every human being. If we want God to stop evil, then He must stop all of it. Because who's going to rate it? God would be required to stop all people from exercising their free will. Therefore, we could say that one of the reasons that God permits evil and suffering is for the permission of free will. Can I tell you why? Because if there were no free will, there would be no opportunity for love. And that is the cost of love. You cannot coerce nor make someone love you. Love can only be produced through the free giving of one's heart to another. It cannot be coerced and it cannot be demanded. And so, as God would give us the ability to love freely and be free to love, He then allows the risk of the free will to choose, to love or to hate. And that's exactly where we're at. Now, that's the reason, brothers and sisters, there is evil in the world. Now, I told you there were two ways to deal with evil in the world. Did God not do anything because He's giving us His free will? No, He did do something very effective. What He did was He died to change the nature of man. That's how he came to solve the problem of evil in the world. Not to interrupt fallen man's free will to hurt another man, because he would have to interrupt it once, he would have to interrupt it twice, he would have to interrupt it continually with an unchanged nature in mankind. But what God chose to do to stop evil in the world was to change the nature of sinful man. And so he got very involved. In fact, he came into this world and into this creation taking the flesh of mankind upon himself so that he would then take the sin and the evil of this world and carry it upon his own being so that the Father would judge sin upon him so that he could, by a divine power, exchange our sin and evil for his righteousness to the Father so that He would change 
the nature of man. Now, where's God when there is evil? He is in the lives of righteous men and women. There. Does that stop the free will of other people causing harm and pain to the rest of this world? No, it does not. But there is a presence of God in this world in you and in you and in you and in you and in I by the abiding presence of the Holy Spirit. And that grace can minister to people who are suffering in a dying world. That is a powerful answer that we have. You see, look at what the alternative is for the atheist. The two options, we all know there's evil, pain, and suffering right there at the top. We get that. So there's either two conclusions to come up with. God knows about it. God cares about it. God can and will act. He has begun the process at the cross, and He will complete the process at when He returns. Or the option is for the atheist, God doesn't know, God doesn't care, and God can't do anything about it. That means He's without knowledge, without love, without power. There is no God. And if that is your proof that there's no existence of a God, I go back to my first point. What world do you live in? Because if there is no God and all this pain and suffering, what is your hope? What is your life? Because ultimately, if there is no God, then there is no ultimate justice. There will never be justice. So if we are just a product of evolution. We are equal with animals. And there is no dignity to the human race. There's no difference between you and a dog or a pig or a dolphin or a whale. There's no higher level of love or purpose. There will be no ultimate justice. If someone murders someone else, there will be no final justice weighed upon them for what they have done. So do what you want. You live by your genes and your drives and your environment. Ultimately, where there is atheism, it is basically the doctrine of evolution. It's the survival of the fittest. So ask them, Though evil people do horrible things to others, can you live in a world like that without the intervention of God's love through people? Caring one for another, loving one another, and ultimately God judging evil and God condemning injustice eternally and rewarding or punishing evildoers. By the way, if you believe that there is evil, you can only define evil by good. Because if you say that there is evil in the world and that is a problem for you, you therefore have a definition of what is good. And if you have a concept of what is good, it implies that there is some standard by which you define it. So ask them, how do you define good and evil? How do you define what is just and right if it is really just up to us for survival? No, you in fact have a concept of God. You just have an issue with Him. That's your problem. And I'd like to help you 
understand him better. Jesus said this, in this world, you will have tribulation. Nobody quotes that promise too often. Confess it, brother. Hallelujah. (laughs) But it is a reality, isn't it? Has anybody run into this verse? (laughs) But be of what? Take heart. Be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Right? Now, what is Jesus equating trouble with? The world. You will have trouble also, always, won't you? And who's the troublemaker? The world. Right? Mankind. See, that's what he said. He's overcome, but in the cosmos, and the cosmology of all things, the reason man has fallen and the reason we have evil coming through man is because of sin and death. And he has overcome the world and Satan. And he has overcome all aspects of the origins and roots of sin, death, and the grave. And he did that at the cross so he could exchange your nature for his nature and you can overcome evil in your life and we can begin changing the structure of our society. It's interesting that there was a study done and I I can't remember the particular mathematician, but he did a study on cheating. And when he did this study on cheating, he found that people would cheat just a little. They were comfortable with cheating a little. They wouldn't cheat a lot. They were more prone to cheat when they found out others cheated as well. But they wouldn't cheat in a large fashion because then they had the risk of being caught. So he found that the majority of people cheat just a little. Everybody cheating just a little. Except he saw that ratio change when he asked them to take a test on naming the Ten Commandments. Atheists, believers, non-believers, it didn't matter. When they tried to remember some of the Ten Commandments and couldn't, They did not cheat as often as subjects that did not pertain to God. There was a level of conviction, even for unbelievers. And when they found out that less people cheated or saw not much activity of cheating, they refrained from cheating. What would that speak to us as the church? That if we would legislate morality, that we would put out there that God is righteous and just and demands righteousness, even unbelievers would tend to follow those commands. The church has been silent too long. And the reason there is an increase in evil is because the church has not led the way in righteousness. And if we would speak out in a greater effort against the immoralities and the sin of the world and call sin, sin, the rest of the world would begin to understand not to do it. Now, we needed a a, a college professor to tell us that people, whether they're saved or not saved, will follow the higher moral ground. 
if there is an influence for it. Jesus called you and I the salt of the earth, the pillar of truth in the earth. I don't know about you, but a pillar is to stand. And he said, we're the light of the world, and you are to shine that light. Brothers and sisters, if we want to fight the works of darkness, and if we want to fight the immorality in this country, we then have to speak up and speak of what the Word of God says and call out sin as it is sin. That's not politically correct, but what political correctness does is cause a lot of people to cheat a little bit. You see what I'm saying? And so if we let everything go to the low ground, guess where our society will go? To the low ground. And so we must speak of righteousness. No, our God did everything He could to stop evil in the earth. He died on a cross so that you and I would bring the righteousness of heaven into the will of earth. That free will would not be taken by God, but in fact given through the act of love. And so turn it back to the atheists, turn it back to them and ask them, you have a choice. Will you choose evil? Because you have a free will. Or will you choose love? God offers you love that your nature may change and you will not fall into the hands of the evil one. Amen? Let's bow our heads. Father, we thank you today for the ministry of your Holy Spirit. We thank